Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. That's a nice ad. You can get Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy, only four forty-seven a piece. That's nice. But then look what it says here. I didn't like this. It says, remember, kids, they're only raggedy because of their drunken Irish parents. Let's be completely honest here. When it comes to dolls, Barbie notwithstanding, we're locked into a Highlander truth. Because in terms of long-lasting influence and popularity, there can be only one. She's been ingrained in so many countless childhoods, and recently in so many nightmares. I was going to say, would you say ingrained, or would you say just firmly burned into the memories? I think burned into nightmares, ingrained into memories. I like it. Let's roll with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her story, however, started off very humbly. Indeed. This is the story of Raggedy Ann. This is Toys for Us. All of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Patty, Ruxpin, and the worms. We got Bill Nye so we can learn. And if I Hello. Hi. And welcome back once again to the Toys R Us podcast. Your DeLorean ride back in time to discover the history of a toy that made a lasting impression on your childhood. My name is Dr. Emmett Brown, and with me is Marty! What's up, Doc? My cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hi, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our little April Fool's prank with that Small Soldiers episode. It was a lot of fun to do. I mean, I saw the opportunity and I had to take it. Oh, absolutely. Like... Just so happened to land on a Monday? Come on. It, this is too perfect not to. Or do you think I was not going to do it? Right. No. Not us. We're we're 19 episodes in at this point. Yeah. You should you know us better know. than that. Um, in reality, we actually tackle something that I really do not want to. Yeah, me neither, honestly. Because she's fucking creepy. Yep. And nightmares are most assuredly in my future. Yep. But, you know, she demands that she's talked about, so... She demands a sacrifice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Typo negative. Um, I never had a Raggedy Ann. I think my sister did. It was terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it by its very nature, it's terrifying. Big, flat face and dead eyes. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Don't like it. Um, my sister never had one, so I... <laughs> I have no hands, no hands-on experience with this. No, lady. yeah, thank God. I, I seem to remember always stuffing it under her bed because it was the way our bedrooms were. I had to pass her room. Oh yeah, you don't and it was see like it. no. Hi, Brian. Wee wee wee. Please play with me, Brian. Come play with us, Brian. 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 Have you brushed your teeth, Brian? Yes, I brush my teeth twice a day. Brush them again. Okay, fine. But not because you told me to. Yes, because I told you. Okay, fine! You're my bitch, Brian. I am. 
So, <laughs> so now we're going to dig into our history. Are you ready? Grab your shovels. And pitchforks. Here we go. Let's go. We're going to start our story on December 24th, 1880. That's a long time ago. That's fucking hella long. Yeah. Um, and before we continue on, I do want to make a note, because I never actually reference the music that I put in when I'm editing, I, but I need to on this point. Yeah. Because the song that I just played a clip of um, came out in 1880, and it was by Gussie Lord Davis, which is like a kind of a badass name. It is. Especially for the time. respect. Yeah, well... Gussie Lord Davis. You know, you throw Lord in anything, it's kind of, kind of... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a bit of gravitas to pull that off. Yeah. Uh, the song is called We Sat Beneath the Maple on the Hill, and it made him the first African-American songwriter to succeed in Tin Pan Alley in New York City. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, it's... Unheard it's a of testament, the time. too. Yeah, to, like, how talented the guy was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Christmas Eve, 1880, in Arcola, Illinois. Where we meet up with Alice and Richard Gruel. 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 What? What rom-com is it? Oh, it's Mean Girls. Uh, yeah. Where she goes to say great and cool, mm-hmm. and she says Gruel. So yeah, <laughs> Richard and Alice Gruel. Uh, Richard was a landscape and portrait artist. So it's like Edward Scissorhands plus the sidewalk chalk scene from original Mary Poppins. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that works. Uh, and these two lovebirds just had a very special early Christmas present. Oh, A bouncing me. baby boy. Hello. named John Barton Gruel. John Barton. J.B. J.B. Oh, Jables. Jables. Uh, in 1882, when John, who I will refer to from here on out as Johnny, was two years old, he moved with his parents to Indianapolis, Indiana, and settled in a home on Tacoma Avenue... And what is the present day Lockerbie Square Historic District? Lockerbie. Like, not on, not Indiana. to be confused with Lockerbie, where that Pan Am flag got blown up oh. by terrorism back hey. in yeah. you the, know. The, the other 80s, the 1980s. Uh, way to take it to a whole. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know me. I tend to go dark with things, man. This whole episode. Yeah, it's well, just grab a candle because it's going to get dark. Yes. Uh,. Now, Lockerbie Square is ridiculous, okay? It is. They're like ritzy-ass houses and townhomes and condos, okay? Yeah. And the cheapest one there, $349,000. Oh, these are the ones you sent me the link on? Yes. Oh, fuck. $349,000 for a two-bedroom, two-bathroom house. That is fucking insane. And the most expensive is $2 million. Excuse me? Two million dollars. American currency? For a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house. That is fucking insane. Now, look. I'm not going to say that's not an absolutely beautiful house. No, it it is. is. But when I lived in Georgia, shout out to my Georgia friends, especially Natalie. Yeah, because she's awesome. Patron. Um, I almost bought a house. Yeah? I didn't know that. A four-bedroom... Two bath, two car garage house with an acre of land. Holy shit! The price on that? Yeah, sixty three thousand dollars. Holy fuck! Yeah, the I think the minimum payments or like the monthly payments were like six hundred eleven dollars. But jeez, 
Yeah. Like, my rent out here is more than that. Yeah. yeah. Like, in Indiana, of all places. Yeah. They should be paying me to live in Indiana. Let's be serious here. Yeah, that's... I'm yeah. sorry, Indiana. You're just... You're a fucking... It's kind of America's Garbage fire. It really is. The New Jersey of the Midwest. Ugh. And, you know, even... You know, I'm from Chicago originally, but living in Indiana, it is... I think it earns that Jersey of the Midwest. I mean... Yeah, it smells and nobody knows how to fucking drive from Indiana. Well, that's the thing. Once you get south of Whiting, it doesn't smell so bad. Uh, summertime, however, when they start to plant stuff and you got manure and stuff, it's less than aromatic. I, I hate Indiana. I know you do. That's why the Secret Yeti Studios are located here. <laughs> oh, man. I shudder. I shudder at the thought. Hmm. So, yeah. $63,000. So, like, to say you have to be snooty as fuck to live in Lockerbie Square is, like, an understatement. Yeah, but not in the 1890s. Right. Right. So, for more than 20 years, the girls made Indianapolis their home. Uh... Johnny was exposed to art and literature at an early age by his father. Jeez, I'm glad that Johnny wasn't exposed to smallpox. Hey. <sighs> Go. Uh, Richard Gruel had recently been associated with the Hoosier Group of American Impressionist Painters. That sounds like it should be an acronym. It should, but what would it be? H-Gap. 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 Nah. <laughs> that sounds like we're saying something backwards. H-Gap. H-Gap. Uh, in addition to Richard Rule, the informal group included William Forsyth, T.C. Steele, Otto Stark, and J. Otis Adams. Uh, another Gruel family friend was Hoosier poet James Whitcomb Riley, whose poems The Elf Child, later titled Little Orphan Annie, mm. and The Raggedy Man, Eventually helped to form the name of Johnny's iconic Raggedy Ann character. Oh boy, yeah, I was gonna say, I was, I'm drawing parallels here, yeah, I'm drawing... Yeah. Now, Johnny was the eldest child of the Gruel family, which included a younger sister, Prudence. Which is the worst name for a kid, Pr- yeah, I swear. Prudence. Even back then, you're gonna get the crap beat out of you. Yeah. Prudence sounds like what you call diarrhea from eating prunes. Yeah, Prudence. I had the prudence. Uh, it's like the hot snakes and bubble guts. So it's like they give the brothers Johnny and Justin, and then Prudence. Come on. Like, at least they could have kept with, like, the J's yeah, or something. Yeah, like Jessica like or something. Yeah. Because I know quite a few awesome Jessicas. Yep. Yep. Shout um, out. Shout out. Also a patron. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Um, and a good friend. <laughs> and a good friend. Don't forget. Uh, his parents exposed all three children to music, literature, and art. Good. And it kind of worked out for all of them, as Prudence trained as a vocalist in New York City. Wow. She performed in vaudeville theaters and married Albert Matsky, an illustrator and watercolorist. She also became an author of children's books and a syndicated newspaper columnist. Wow. Uh, Justin studied art in Indianapolis and New York City and became a landscape painter, illustrator, and muralist. Wow. Yeah. I gotta give it up for muralists. That that's painting on oh, such yeah. a massive scale, it's so yeah. involved. Yeah. I love it. Uh there was a theater close to Paisley Park in Minnesota where mm-hmm. someone did a big ass mural of Prince. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh yeah, and you know, as much shit as I talk about Indiana, like 
<laughs> they just knock out powerhouse families. Yeah. Like It's true. We just watched uh Leaving Neverland. <laughs> eee. Yeah, well ooh. not a good time. No, definitely not. And you know, um currently, every time uh slide aside, um they got a part of sixty five South closed yeah. and you gotta divert through Gary. And there are a lot of uh, murals about Michael Jackson that are exceptionally well done. Yeah. Unfortunately, the problem with that is the murals on these buildings look like they should be condemned. I mean, it's it's really yeah. sad to see the yeah. urban decay yeah. of Gary, which was quite literally, like you said, the powerhouse of Indiana with the, the steel industry and whatnot. But yeah. it's just... Now it's just a shithole. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Steady decline. Yeah. Which is sad. It is. It is. Because, I mean, they do have some legitimately great architecture. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. It's beautiful there. Yeah. It's just kind of like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It's like nice architecture meets Mad Max. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry. uh, I tend to go on. So, from that point, we jump forward and meet up with a 21-year-old Johnny in 1901. Not a bad year. Not a bad year. No. Johnny married Myrtle Swan in Indianapolis. <laughs> Old-timey names, man. Myrtle Swan. Myrtle Swan. An Indianapolis woman whose family had lived near Johnny's family in the Lockerbie neighborhood. So did they know each other growing up, or is that just kind of like a coincidence that they lived near each no, other? No, they, yeah, they like knew each other Aww. just because of Lockerbie Square, you know? Yeah, one of those everybody knows everybody things. Yeah. Uh, the two were wed after three years of dating on March 23rd, 1901. Aww. And a year later, on August 18th, 1902, they had a daughter and the first of their children, Marcella Delight Gruel. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so Marcella's not bad. <laughs> Marcella's not bad, uh, but Delight, Delight is kind of off. But Marcella Delight sounds like a hazelnutty chocolate it treat. Sounds like, yeah, some kind of dessert. Yeah. Um, Did you try the Marcella Delight? It's delicious. It's, it's very airy. It's yes. It's not like an airy it's, dessert. Yes. Very crisp. Um, along with Marcella, they had two sons, Richard. Hey. Who went by Dick. Oh, Dick Gruel? Dick Gruel. Man. Why? Even even 1901. <sighs> Dick Gruel? Nobody's having a good time there. That, the mistakes were made. Yes. And worth. 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 Worth gruel. Okay, so now that's interesting. Because I mean, it's like the you're from Skyler and Mikhail like Mikhaila. Yeah. Marcella Delight and Worth. Uh, no middle name. Just Worth? Worth Gruel. Worth oh. Well at least it wasn't like worth it gruel. <sighs> Can you work it? <laughs> let me worth it. Yeah, let me worth it. <laughs> <sighs> God damn it. Um, by the time Johnny reached adulthood, he had concreted himself as a political cartoonist, hmm. turning out as many as three cartoons a day for several Midwestern newspapers. That's impressive. To get have the Inspirado to crank out three a day? Hell yeah. Mercy. Three a day? Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> you gotta bump those numbers up. Uh, shortly after the <clears throat> Indianapolis Star newspaper was established, Johnny Grohl was chosen as the first illustrator for the newspaper. Boom! Yeah, not bad at all. No, hell no. Uh, 
His work was eventually syndicated nationwide, and in 1910, he acted on his aspirations to become a freelance illustrator, moving the family to the East Coast, where he accepted a full-time position with the New York Herald, turning out weekly pages of his Sunday comic, Mr. Tweedeedle. Mr. Tweedeedle. Yes. Actually, that's pretty clever. That is, but it's also kind of like very close to that copyright line of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Uh-huh. Yeah. Skirting that line. Yeah. I mean, I... I appreciate that kind of um, brinksmanship, I guess. Uh, yeah, we're called Toys Were Us. us. I, mean, <laughs> I know, it's like, mm, that hem's really close to our hearts. You know what? On that one. Gotta do it. Hey. Um, this was during a time in American history where traditional values were being challenged by progress and social change. And as a counter-reaction, many were turning back to more nostalgic diversions. Homemade like what? Hoop and stick? <laughs> Shit, not too far off. Homemade and handcrafted objects were popular fare. Oh. Fairy tales, magic uh-huh. shows, the psychic phenomena oh, that yeah. birthed the magic mm-hmm. eight ball. Um, and probably gave rise to the whole Ouija board thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. More on that. Uh, yeah. That, that's know. another episode entirely. Uh, all of this fit with what Johnny was already creating and set the stage perfectly for his folksy, whimsical doll he would be well known for. It's like, I got this idea. I got this idea, man! Uh, he could, he also completed commissions for illustrations of well-known fairy tales, as well as writing and illustrating his own stories. Aside from the titular Raggedy Ann, his greatest works came by way of his first major illustrating commission, which was a single-volume edition of the Grimm's Fairy Tales. See, now that would be fun to illustrate. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, like there's I was a just lot of wiggle room there. You hell know? yeah, there's a lot of interpretation room. Yeah, um, yeah. So he did that in 1914. Then included... did they know the Titanic was awaiting oh. disaster. That already happened though. When is the 1912 Titanic? Oh yeah, it's already dead. Come on. Yeah. Come on now, guy. Time in San Diego in here. <laughs> Find where in time is Carmen yeah. San Diego. Um, so in that fairy tale, Grimm's fairy tale that he made, it included his art for 11 full-color plates. Boom! In other early commissions, he illustrated and retold the fairy tales that included Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and Hansel and Gretel, amongst others. See, now that's awesome. Uh, what was up with, like, <laughs> like children's fairy tales... Hey, listen, don't fuck around or you're going to get eaten by a witch in the woods. Or a a wolf. Yeah. Like, why are so many things? Like, seriously, that was like the main, like, the main lesson from all these stories. Hey, don't don't go that way. You're going to get eaten. Yeah. You're going to get fucking got. Yeah. I mean, shit. I mean, whew. I mean, you know, fear is a very, very good motivator. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at the fucking uh, Annabelle series. Yep. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, He also wrote and illustrated My Very Own Fairy Stories in 1917, published by P.F. Voland Company, a publisher of of inspirational cards, gifts, and books. Uh, More on them later. Ooh. Beginning with these early stories... Johnny typically used a fairy story with a moral format. Okay. You know, like we said. Right. Everything had to be a lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But that helped him 
kind of get his morals of like what he would trademark as like his style, you know. I get that. Yeah. Um which, you know, ethical lessons are something that will prove to be something that good old Johnny Boy has no right trying to teach. Ooh. But we'll get there. I like this. Uh the history of Raggedy Ann is not too dissimilar to that of the Magic 8-Ball, as in the details of the origin story are iffy and not, like, extremely verified. Okay. What makes them different, however, is the fact that there are a large number of varying stories and legends regarding the origins of Raggedy Ann. Many of these stories have, have contributed to the overall legacy and spirit of Raggedy Ann, even though they may not have any historical roots. So a lot of these stories are what they call apocryphal? Yes. Very yeah. uh, muddied. Yes. Uh, as Patricia Hall, who is a like just well-known Raggedy Ann historian, uh, has said... I didn't know there was such a thing. There is. Hmm. There is. There's a big Raggedy Ann fandom. Oh, yeah. That, that I did know. Yeah. Uh, she said, in the case of Raggedy Ann and Andy, the legends are as important as factual history in telling the story, because the Raggedy sprang directly from the rich and embellished world of storytelling, a world of frolicking fairies, come-alive dolls, and talking forest critters. It makes great sense to not discount legends simply because they are folklore and therefore unprovable. Okay, so forest, talking forest creatures, I'm down with, everything else goes out. Right out. Yeah, yeah, uh, mm-mm. Nope. I don't need a talking doll. Nope. Okay? I I, I told the line with Teddy Ruxpin. And that was and it. No more. No more to you. This far, no further. Yes. Uh, while legends can frustrate the most adamant historian in search of a hard, provable fact and figures, they can tell us different things than facts, and they possess powers that historical data do not. Legends have the power of revealing ethics and values, Preferences and motives, emotions and reactions, and in the case of the Raggedies, legends have the singular ability to showcase the true personalities of those fanciful dolls, as okay. well as leading insight into the persona of their father, Johnny Gruel. Ooh, here comes the doit. Many of these myths surround Johnny's daughter, Marcella, and the influence she had on her father. Okay. For example, one story says Marcella found an old doll in the attic and brought it to her father, who then decided to name it after... The names of several poems written by his friend. Hmm. Of course, her finding the doll is simply one of the myths and does not have much historical evidence to back it up. Okay. Even Johnny's wife Myrtle was known to disregard that story. She's like, nah, this is bullshit. She claims that he found that doll on his own. Still, it was still in the attic, but okay. he found it oh, way before her. Marcella was born. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she said, there was something he wanted from the attic. While he was rummaging around for it, he found an old rag doll his mother made for his sister. Uh, he said that he said then that that doll would make a good story. Okay. Yeah. And it was cursed. <sighs> Marcella did, however, have a great influence on her father's life and career. She served as a model for his li- literary protagonist, Marcella, and is said to be his reason for creating the character of Raggedy Ann in the first place. Hmm. According to Myrtle referring to the family doll that the husband re- had retrieved from the parents' attic. Mm-hmm. He kept it in his mind until we had Marcella. He remembered it when he saw her play dolls. You know how little girls are. Yeah. He wrote the stories around some of the things she did. He used her to get ideas by watching her. Kind of like uh, his muse. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, now let's talk a minute about Marcella Gruel. <laughs> Marcella Gruel. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. God, poor, poor little Marcella. I, I know. She she probably got mean girl all the way no, through high school, dude. No. No? No. No. Was she the mean girl? No. <laughs> she got the real fucking short end of the stick here. Okay? Uh oh. Brian, I am extremely pro vaccination. Oh right? we've no. talked we've talked about this, okay? It's twenty nineteen. Vaccinate yeah. your fucking children. That's true. However, does this play into the smallpox joke I made earlier? It was decidedly not 2019. <laughs> oh, fuck. When me. not long after the creation of and September 1915 patent of the much-beloved Raggedy Ann, Johnny's only child and 13-year-old daughter Marcella died a painful death Don't say after polio. receiving Don't say polio. a routine smallpox vaccination. Oh, score, fuck, I was right! Which was given without her parents' consent. Oh. Reports indicate that after the initial inoculation, Marcella had lost her appetite and became feverish and fatigued. Amazingly, though, more vaccinations were given to her despite her negative reaction from the first time. Okay. Oh, Jesus. So, predictably, Marcella's health continued to decline to the point where she lost all muscle control, becoming listless and lifeless like a ragdoll. Oh, fuck me, man. Well, that took a dark turn. Yeah. Uh, while this was going on at school, her parents knew nothing about it, and they never gave any consent for vaccinations. Oh, fuck. So, sadly, Marcella died a slow and agonizing death, passing away on November 8th, 1915, at the age of 13. Too short. Yeah. The girls were convinced beyond any doubt that the vaccination was the culprit behind the death of their only child even though the school authorities and vaccination proponents insisted Marcella had died from a pre-existing heart defect. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go call bullshit on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a fucking doctor. And you're not the only one, because ultimately seven leading physicians were called upon to opine about the cause of her death. No shit. Six consented that it was the result of vaccine-induced poisoning and called it malpractice. Well, yeah, I mean, they kept pumping her full of this shit. The seventh, being the head of the school board and a supporter of vaccination, declined to comment. Oh. Yeah. Something like, kind of like, recusing yourself slightly of... Just a bit. (sighs) Jerk. Just a bit. Um, Soon after Marcella's death, Johnny was asked to create an illustration to accompany an article... Vaccines Killed My Two Sisters. The cartoon is a clever and effective work, reflective of Johnny's style, which is familiar to the readers of the magazine. Right. However, they are now prepared for the note which Mr. Grohl enclosed with his single drawing, which read, My daughter did. (laughs) Sorry. She did! Having recently lost our only daughter through vaccination in public school without her consent, you may realize how terribly humorous the subject of vaccination appears to Mrs. Gruel and myself. Of the seven physicians called in on the case, six pronounced it in emphatic terms, malpractice. The seventh did not commit himself, being the head of the school board and a firm advocate of vaccinations. He had a little bit of skin in that game. To say the least. Yeah. Shortly after Marcella's death, 
Johnny created a doll much different than the more popular rigged clay dolls of the time. Rather than create a doll that stands up straight with a healthy and happy glow, in a fitting tribute to his only daughter, he designed a doll to represent her limp and dying body. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> it was a dark time for Raggedy Ann. And Nurse. Something I had just no fucking idea about. Which kind of just makes her ties to Annabelle that much more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, we'll get there. It's the ghost of my son. <laughs> Now, for those not familiar or who have might have forgotten... Or lived under a rock. Raggedy Ann was the unusual character starring in a series of stories for young children that became a sensation. She was a rag doll who sported bright red yarn hair and yep. a triangle nose. In 1918, Grohl sold his first volume of Raggedy Ann stories, published by P.F. Volland Company, based in Chicago. Okay. The Raggedy Ann doll was marketed along with the book... And within months of the book, wait, and within months, the book and the doll were selling like hotcakes. The original price point for Raggedy Ann was $1.95. With inflation, that comes out to about $25. Which isn't bad for, you get the doll and the Okay, and doll the and the book, that's pretty okay. Yeah. Um, things were going so well for Raggedy Ann that, in fact, Johnny needed to add another member to the Raggedy family. As opposed to his regular family. <sighs> God. So we hop to 1920, where we are introduced to Raggedy Andy. Andy wore a sailor suit and a hat, had a triangle nose, and the trademark red yarn hair. And a Raggedy Ann doll was created to accompany the sequel as a striking complement to the popular Raggedy Ann doll. Okay. Uh, Johnny Gruel authored and, and or illustrated dozens of related works. Many other books were released and in some cases credited to him after his death on January 9th, 1938. Um, in addition, numerous works have been written and or illustrated by others, such as Ethel Hayes, who illustrated most of the Salfield Publishing Company's Raggedy Ann stories okay. from 1944 on. onward. Okay. <sighs> Bookwise, we have the following, written and illustrated by him. Okay. Raggedy Ann stories in 1918... Raggedy Andy stories in 1920. Raggedy Ann and Andy and the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees, 1924. Raggedy Andy's Number Book, 1924. Raggedy Ann's Wishing Pebble, 1925. Raggedy Ann's Alphabet Book, 1925. Beloved Belindy. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. 1926. The Paper Dragon, A Raggedy Ann Adventure, 1926. Raggedy Ann's Fairy Stories, 1928. Raggedy Ann's Magical Wishes, 1928. Marcella, a Raggedy Ann story, 1929. Raggedy Ann in the Deep, Deep Woods, 1930. Raggedy Ann's Sunny Songs, 1930. Raggedy Ann in Cookie Land, 1931. Raggedy Ann's Lucky Pennies, 1932. Raggedy Ann Gets Lost in the Woods, <laughs> 1933. Raggedy Ann's Cut Out Paper Doll Book, 1935. Raggedy Ann's little brother Andy cut out paper doll book, 1935. Raggedy Ann in the Golden Meadow, 1935. Randy, 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 Raggedy Ann and the left-handed safety pin, 1935. Wait a minute, left-handed safety pin? I don't know, it sounds like a Beck album. It does. Uh, Raggedy Ann's Joyful Songs, 1937. Raggedy Ann and Ma 
Raggedy Ann and Maisie Moo Cow, 1937. <laughs> Raggedy Ann and Andy's Very Own Fairy Stories, 1970. That's a... That's a lot of books. Oh, I'm not done. Oh. <sighs> Had to Rag- your breath. <laughs> Raggedy Ann... Okay, this was... Okay, these were written... By someone else. By, no, these were written by him, illustrated by others. Okay. Um, Raggedy Ann and the Magic Book, 1939. Raggedy Ann... And the Laughing Brook, 1940. Raggedy Ann and the Golden Butterfly, 1940. Raggedy Ann and the Hoppy Toad, 1940. Raggedy Ann helps Grandpa Hoppergrass. Raggedy Ann in the Garden, 1940. Raggedy Ann goes sailing, 1941. The Camel with the Wrinkled Knees, Part 2, 1941. I was hoping for a sequel to that one. Raggedy Ann and Andy and the Nice Fat Policeman, 1942. Raggedy Ann and Andy Punch Hitler in the Face, <laughs> oh. 1945. Raggedy Ann and Betsy Bonnet String, 1943. Oh. Raggedy Ann and the Snow White Castle, 1946. Raggedy Ann's Adventures, 1947. Raggedy Ann and the Slippery Slide, 1947. Raggedy Ann's Mystery, 1947. Raggedy Ann at the End of the Rainbow, 1947. Raggedy Ann and Marcella's first day at school, ugh, 1952. Raggedy Ann's Merriest Christmas, 1952. Raggedy Andy's Tea Party Surprise, 1953. A Puzzle for Raggedy Ann and Andy, 1957. Raggedy Ann's Secret, 1959. Raggedy Ann's Christmas Surprise, 1960. That one was a Canadian exclusive. Ooh. Uh, Raggedy Ann's Stories to Read Out Loud, 1960. Raggedy Ann and the Golden Ring. One ring to rule them all. Um, 1961. Raggedy Ann and the Hobby Horse. 1961. Raggedy Ann and the Hoppy Meadow. 1961. Raggedy Ann and the Wonderful Witch. 1961. I've never heard a witch described as wonderful. No. Glinda. She was the good witch, but it wasn't wonderful. True. Raggedy Ann and Andy and the Kindly Ragman. 1975. Uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy and the Witchy Kissabye, 1975. <laughs> Which what? is like, what? Um, uh, there was also many subsequent adaptations of Raggedy Ann and Andy books, um, in addition to the characters appearing in other media formats. Okay. Such as animated features and films. Okay. Um, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, 1941. Suddenly It's Spring, 1944. The Enchanted Square, 1947, and Raggedy Ann and Andy, A Musical Adventure, 1977. Now, now, I will put this in uh, to the episode. Okay. One French doll. Just what we need around here. Another darn doll. I'll tell you something. I'm getting pretty sick and tired of all the dumb things that go on around here. This is no place for a strong, tough, and terrific boy like myself. You're strong, tough, and terrific? I could be if I didn't have to hang around this nursery and be a girl's doll. Well, you can push me, shove me, turn me around, but I'm no girl's toy. You can tie me, toss me upside or down, but I'm no girl's toy. I sing my own sweet melody, I go my own sweet way. 
won't break ground tomorrow for the kind of affection that was free today. Oh, you can squeeze me, tease me, say I'm your own, but I'm no girl's toy. You can charm me, chase me, follow me home. I won't be coy. You may not like it much, but I'm my own best boy and not some sugar and spicy, lacy and nicey. Sissy, you're gonna enjoy no, no girl's toy. Oh, Andrew, you're just terrible. A regular hook fin. Wouldn't you be pushed around and squashed up by a bunch of girls? You tell them, sorry. Yeah, you t uh, tell them what? What do you mean? Tell them the truth. What truth? Too many girls. Stop it. You'll hurt yourself. Hurt nothing. I've been hurt enough. Packages landed on my head. Tea parties. Dancing lessons. You're just crazy. I'm no girl's toy. Maybe lazy. Watch it, sister. trouble and I'm heading for a fall. Well, no rag, no bone, no hank of hair is gonna make me do what I don't want to do at all. So squeeze me, tease me, say I'm your own, but I'm no girl's toy. Oh, charm me, chase me, follow me home. Forget it, sweetie. You may not like it much, but I'm my own best boy and not some sugar and spicy, lacy and nicey. Sissy, you're gonna enjoy no, no. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. That was something. <laughs> like, I don't... Like, to me, it almost sounded like as if Roy Orbison took a big hit of helium <laughs> and decided to do whippets at the same time. Oh, God. You're absolutely right, though. Yeah. Let me sit here. That was terrifying. Let me tell you, though, that's been in my head for like a month and a half. Jesus, God. Yeah. Please, no more. You mean you don't want to listen to that? That was... That was scary. That was... That was intense, man. Yeah. Like, that guy's got a lot of anger issues. For for a toy. He's no girl's toy. He's no girl's toy. He made that abundantly clear. <sighs> yes. Uh, on theater and stage, they adapted Raggedy Ann and Andy... In 1981, and Raggedy Ann, The Musical Adventure, 1986. Uh, television, they had Raggedy Ann and Andy, The Great Santa Claus Caper. Raggedy Ann and Andy, and The Pumpkin Who Couldn't Smile. Uh, <laughs> the Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy, and Raggedy Ann and Andy, and The, <laughs> the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees. Part just had, three. Just had to be, just had to be a TV special. Yeah. Um... I mean, don't all camels have wrinkled knees? I mean, isn't that... That's kind of the point. Right? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't it just say the camel then? <laughs> That's true. I mean... Uh, they had several um, albums. Raggedy Ann's Sunny Songs, Raggedy Ann's Songs of Happiness, Songs of Raggedy Ann and Andy, Johnny Gruel's Raggedy Ann Songs and Stories, that was Canadian. Okay. Hallmark's Read Along Story Records... Raggedy Ann and Andy, A Musical Adventure. You know, that was just the album from the movie. Okay, so now, 
something tells me that if we played them backwards, there'd be satanic messages. If we played them forward, there'd be satanic messages. Fair point. Um, there were also several comic books. Oh, I love comic books. Please don't besmirch the name of comic books. <laughs> yeah. Um, during Raggedy Ann's life as a doll, she was manufactured by multiple companies. The okay. P.F. Volton Company from 1920 to 1934. Right. Bears, Keeler, and Bauman, which was an early manufacturer of the Raggedy Andy dolls. Hmm. Um, Exposition Doll and Toy Company, 1935 to mid-1935. Oh, they didn't last long. No. Molly E's Doll Outfitters, without permission. Oh, <laughs> From 1935 to 1937. Georgine Novelties, 1938 to 1962. Knickerbocker Toy Company, 1963 to 1982. Well, they had the longest run so far. Yeah. Um, up until this point. Mm, uh, mm-hmm, applause mm-hmm. Toy Company slash Russ Berry, 1983 to 2000, 2011. Sorry. Okay. That's a stretch. Uh, Hasbro slash Play School, 1983 to present. Oh, Hasbro. They own the, the master license tray, Dan. Of course they do. Yeah. Um, Aurora World Incorporated, which 2012 up until now, including now, rather. Okay. They uh, own the exclusive plush doll license. <sighs> Lousy plushies. You know, uh, Voland was the most important when it came to popping out Raggedy Ann. Yeah. Uh, by the late 1920s, Voland's orders of Raggedy Ann dolls from the manufacturer had reached 4,000 per month. Uh, and when they ceased operations during the Great uh, Depression, Great Depression, it had already sold more than 150,000 dolls. And Holy nearly, shit. And nearly 2 million Raggedy Ann books. Holy shit. Yeah. For, like, Great Depression numbers, that's, that's crazy. Uh, so... Well, that's bananas. Remember when Tycho tried to make the stretch toys? Yeah. Yeah, like and Batman make, and whatnot. Oh, we're going to come in at the end here and just uh, uh-huh. do what uh-huh. we want. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the same thing that Molly E, which sounds like uh, take-no-shit female drug queen pin. Yeah, Molly, Molly, Molly e. e. That's what she tried to do. And from 1935 until 1937, Molly E's Doll Outfitters manufactured and sold unauthorized versions of Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls until a legal decision handled down in Gruel versus... Gruel versus... Gruel versus... In Gruel versus Molly E. Goldman prohibited Molly E's dolls from further manufacturing and sales of the dolls. Dropping the hammer of the law. The long dick of the law. The long dick of the law. Now... Brian, yes. think back to when I told you that Johnny was fond of penning ethical lesson stories. Uh-huh, and you said that and he I had said, no business. No business, right? So I'm going to take you to 1926. Mm. And I would like to Black introduce you to Beloved Belindy. Oh. Now. <laughs> I think I see where this is going. Let me show you a picture of Beloved Belindy, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is beloved Belindy blonde? No. No? She's decidedly not blonde. Is beloved Belindy Here's beloved black? Belindy. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. On July 1st, Ooh. 1926, Johnny Gruel authorized the P.F. Volant Company to begin selling the beloved Belindy character doll as a tie-in with his forthcoming book bearing the same name. Okay, for all of you who can't see this, like oh, I'll I can... put it in the show notes. Best believe, but let him explain here. 
Okay, um, let's see. How to best describe this? It It's essentially a raggedy and mammy slash Aunt Jemima doll. This thing looks offensive as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it looks offensive as fuck because it is offensive yeah. as fuck. So, beloved Belindy, and I quote here, and so began the journey and adventures of beloved Belindy. Oh, boy. Best friend and the mammy of Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Ann. Holy fuck. And all of the other dolls in Marcella's nursery. So I totally called that. Mm. The nicest, fattest, soft rag doll you could ever care to cuddle. Fattest. And the smile yeah. painted on her broad face was as cheery as can be. And when a smile is painted on, it's almost certain to never come off. Yeah. Holy shit. You heard me. The mammy. The mammy. It's extremely fucked up. That is super fucked up. Um, not only did he decide that, hey, it'd be a great idea to have her in the book, he also commissioned them to make dolls of her. Ooh. And not only did they make dolls of her, Molly E. fucking ripped off the dolls, too. <laughs> they knock off mammy dolls? <laughs> Oh my yeah. god, that's like offensive on top of offensive. And now, Jesus Christ, man. Look, oh god. Doing the research for this, I yeah. came across this lady who owns a website. Her name is Gail. Okay. okay? Now, she thought it would be a good idea to make a friend for Belindy. No. Named Benji. Which is just as fucking racist. Oh Jesus, let's listen to her tone here when she explains why they stopped making Belindy in nineteen goddamn sixty fucking five. Holy shit! Yes. Uh, here's her quote: Knickerbocker revived beloved Belindy in nineteen sixty five, and her familiar face returned to store shelves. Her comeback was short lived, however, due to the civil rights movements of the day. <sighs> the once nostalgic mammy. And she uses italics there for Mammy. Oh, fuck. Uh, imagery was simply not tolerated. The dolls were pulled from the store shelves by the thousands and were burned, making them somewhat hard, hard to find now and increasing their value to collectors. Like, give me a fucking break. Jesus. Um, let, me show, let me show you if I can find it. A picture of this lady's doll that she made, her Benji doll. Oh, no. Okay. Look, I've been, like, batting a thousand here as for my predictions, but, like, I, I'm just imagining the most offensive thing ever. Please don't have it have, like, little yarn shackles and stuff. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, I'll put the picture out there on the social medias, too, so you can see. Well, if, if you guys... Okay, so it's like... It's basically a plush version of those bullshit jockey things that people have in their yards. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Um, yeah, so Johnny also based Raggedy Ann on Gollywog dolls, which... Um... <sighs> holy fuck, man. They are extremely goddamn racist. And you can see exactly just how hard he bit their style, okay? No shit. Let me show you a Gollywog doll. Uh-oh. Here's Gollywog dolls. Holy shit. Wow, yeah. I didn't think that could be more offensive, but look at that. They really went for the fucking gusto. Yeah, they really did. Oh, mercy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's ooh. <sighs> no wonder why this script is so fucking long. Like half of it is racist bullshit. Yeah. Um, he also based her face on a well-known blackface actor, Fred Stone. From his portrayal as the Scarecrow in the 1902 version of The Wonderful World of Oz. Uh, so yeah, I would just like to induct Johnny Gruel into our Hall of Fame of fuckbacks that have no rights making children's media. And you know what? This is It's a pretty lengthy list so far. Yeah, we got Dr. Seuss and William Gruber. Yeah. Like, look, you cannot rest your laurels on, well, that was how it was back in the yeah, day. Yeah, no. That didn't make it right. No, it does <laughs> It doesn't change the fact that, holy fuck, it's a defense. <sighs> Man. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, look, I knew shit was bad back then. But mm. I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, jeez. It's fucked up. Um, so now we need to address the terrifying elephant in the room. Oh, no. Which is the fact that the Annabelle doll, yes, that, that Annabelle doll. Annabelle. Is a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. this is, of course, the landmark case which brought Ed and Lorraine Warren their unmatched popularity in the paranormal. It's true. Uh, I saw an episode of, uh, I want to say it was Mysteries at the Museum, mm-hmm. that they, they had about uh, the Annabelle doll. And yeah. Like, I remember my first reaction, it's like, oh, fucking Annabelle's not like one of those creepy-ass porcelain dolls, it's a Raggedy Ann doll? It's a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, and like all things. Somehow that made it worse. It actually does. I mean... Because you expect the porcelain doll to be the creepy. Yeah, because those things are fucking creepy. Yeah, but Raggedy Ann... That's next level. Yeah. So, in 1970, a mother, doting on her only daughter Donna, purchased a Raggedy Ann doll from an antique store. Donna was, at that time, residing with her roommate Angie in a small apartment and preparing to graduate from college. Thinking nothing more of the doll than it was a sign of her mother's affection, she placed the doll on her bed in her room and basically forgot about it. Okay. You know, as you do. Right. So I her mom bought her a car. <laughs> it's not something that's omnipresent in their lives. Yeah. Um, as time passed, though, both Angie and Donna noticed an air of strangeness about the doll. Apparently the doll would move. Nope. Um, nope. And these these were relatively subtle movements at first, like changing position, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. But as time passed, the movements became more noticeable. Sometimes your feet fall asleep, yeah. <laughs> hey. Even if they're made of stuff. The doll was once even found standing upright, leaning against a chair with its legs crossed. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Like you walk, you come in home after like a hard day and <laughs> like, oh man. You just see fucking Raggedy in there. Where you been? <laughs> Where the fuck you been? Fuck no. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. No, 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 I'm no, out. no, 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 no. Into the fire. Uh, after a while, the doll was said to have actually changed rooms. Uh, what, it didn't like the one it was in? It would be left in the living room before Donna left for work. Upon returning home, it would be found on her bed in her room. Just, you know, kicking back as one does. Yeah. It's been a long like day a fucking of being cat or creepy. Something. Yeah. Uh, about a month later, Donna began to find what she thought were penciled messages. They appeared to be written in the writing of a small child, scribbled and almost illegible on parchment paper. It could be seen that the messages clearly stated, Help us, or help Lou. Donna was who the un- hell is Lou? <laughs> Donna was uncertain of exactly who the us was. Apparently Donna had never kept that type of paper in the house either. So, one well, night- this is doll coming up with magic paper? Bro, who the fuck knows? 
One night she came home to find that the doll had moved once again. Only this time Donna felt as though something was off. A menacing presence seemed to emulate from the doll, and she had the deepest urge to inspect it for some reason. I'd have the deepest urge to throw in the fucking fireplace yeah, at that that's, point. Yeah, that'd be gone. What she found would haunt her forever. The doll had blood on it. Oh, fuck, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Um, a liquid-like red substance appeared on both the back of its hands and its chest. Uh. Now completely scared and desperate for help, Donna decided it was time to seek an expert. Something was going on and she wanted answers. Yeah, I got an expert too, it's called Logs. <laughs> Match? Meet Log. Yes. Log, meet Annabelle. Uh, determined to get to the bottom of things, Donna decided to contact a medium. The medium agreed and the seance was held. And apparently there was in fact a spirit taking up residence in the doll and her name was Annabelle Higgins. Now, from what the medium could determine, Annabelle Higgins was a young girl of only seven when her lifeless body was found in the field upon which the apartment complex now stood. Oh. The details of her death never came to light, and the so-called spirit basically took up residence in the doll and wanted to stay. Seeing no harm in it, and feeling sorry for what the spirit had experienced in life, Donna agreed. Donna has bigger balls than I do. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You ain't kidding. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, yeah, sure, it's cool. Yeah, go ahead, just, yeah, just stay possessed. Yeah. You're fine. Um, Lou, a friend of Donna's, was less than thrilled with the dumb. Psh, duh. On a number of occasions, Lou warned Angie that the doll felt, you know, threatening Vaguely and sinister. Yeah, something was off and Lou knew it. Yeah. And Lou's dislike of the doll was well known. He would have more than one terrifying experience with Annabelle. Uh-uh. Yeah. This so, one is all it would take. So here is a story of Lou's experience as related by the Warrens themselves, okay? Okay. Lou awoke one night from a deep sleep and in a panic. Once again, he had a reoccurring bad dream. Only this time, somehow, something seemed different. It was though he was awake, Don't but couldn't move. Don't see sitting on its chest. He looked around the room and couldn't discern anything out of the ordinary, and then it happened. Kiss me, fat boy! <laughs> Looking down toward his feet, he saw the doll, Annabelle. It began to slowly glide up his leg, moving over to his chest, and then stopped. Within seconds, the doll was strangling him. Paralyzed and grasping for breath, Lou, at the point of asphyxiation, blacked out. And when he woke up in the next morning, he, he was certain it wasn't a dream, that was when he was determined to rid himself of the doll that the spirit possessed. He's got, like, yarny rope burn on his neck. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, however, <laughs> he would have one more terrifying experience with Annabelle. Prepping for a road trip the next day, Lou and Angie were reading over maps alone in her apartment. And the apartment seemed eerily quiet. Suddenly, rustling sounds came from Donna's room, and that aroused fear that someone had possibly broken into the apartment. You oh. know, it was like the 70s, like... It's like well, the the wrestling is coming from inside the house! Yeah. Um, Lou, determined to figure out who or what it was, quietly made his way to the bedroom door. With a shotgun. <laughs> he waited for the noises to stop before entering and turning on the light. The room was empty, except for Annabelle, whom was tossed on the floor in the corner. Uh-oh. Lou scoured the room for forced entry, but nothing was out of place. But as he got close to the doll, he realized... It's the doll, you fool! He got the distinct impression that somebody was behind him. 
always feel like somebody's watching me. Oh, Jesus. And a stupid doll on the TV. Spinning around, he was quick to realize that nobody was there. Mm-mm. Then in a flash, he found himself grabbing for his chest, doubled over, cut and bleeding. <laughs> she- <laughs> his shirt was stained with blood, and upon opening his shirt, there on his chest was what looked like several distinct claw marks. Three vertical, four horizontal. So, this this doll is Ghost Wolverine. Oh, shit. You're right. Um, he's, he said that all of them felt like hot burns. Mm. And the scratches healed almost immediately, half gone the next day and fully gone by day two. Jeez. Due to the nature of Lou's experiences, the doll was no longer believed to be a docile spirit, but inhuman and demotic in nature. Gotham decided to contact a priest. Brigham and the big gun seemed like the best way to go. Uh-huh, yep. Father Hegan was the priest that they contacted, and with his help, their case was referred to the paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ghostbusters. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Casper, um, call somebody else. Call somebody else. Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren took immediate interest in the case and contacted Donna concerning the doll. The Warrens, after speaking with Donna, Angie, and Lou came to the immediate conclusion that the doll itself was not in fact possessed, but manipulated by an inhuman presence. Like a poltergeist? Yeah, spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys, they possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or an object, and that is what occurred in the Annabelle case. The spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. The spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll, it was looking to possess a human host. Oh, fuck. Uh, the spirit, or in this case, inhuman, inhuman demonic spirit, was essentially in the infestation stage of the phenomenon. It first began moving the doll around the apartment by means of teleportation to arouse the occupant's curiosity in hopes that they would give it recognition. Come closer. Right. Then, predictably... A medium was brought into the apartment to communicate with it. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Why you do this to me, Demi? <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, so. During the seance, it, it was allowed permission to haunt the apartment, basically. Oh, that was a bad idea. Insofar as a demon is a negative spirit, it then set about to. Occupy cause a negative host. phenomenon. <laughs> It aroused fear through the doll's weird movements, brought about the materialization of disturbing handwritten notes, created symbolic drops of blood on the doll, and ultimately attacked Lou. Damn Leaving behind the symbolic mark of the beast. The next stage of the infestation phenomenon would have been complete human possession. Had these experiences lasted another two or three more weeks, the spirit would have completely possessed, if not harmed or killed, one or all three occupants of the house. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Like, I'm not one for paranormal bullshit, but I don't know, there's some things there's some that shit you can't explain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an actual exorcism was conducted on the doll before they left, hoping it would rid Annabelle of the infectious demon. Upon the conclusion of the investigation, Ed and Lorraine decided the best course of action to prevent the spirit from doing any further harm to burn the house down was to relieve Donna of the presence of the doll by taking it home with them. Oh, that's a bad idea. I mean, they have balls, you know? Yeah. Uh, after the Warrens arrived home, Ed sat the doll in the chair next to his desk. 
The dog levitated a number of times in the beginning, then it seemed to fall inert. During the ensuing weeks, however, it began showing up in various rooms of the house. When the Warrens were away and had the dial locked up in the outer office building, they would often return to find it sitting comfortably upstairs in Ed's easy chair. <laughs> Ooh. Talk about an uneasy chair. No, zing. The doll also showed the hatred for clergymen who came upon the house. <laughs> in one instance, Father Jason Bradford, a Catholic exorcist, came to the house. And upon seeing the doll seated in the chair, he picked it up and said, Fuck this. You're just a rad doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone and tossed the doll back in the chair, at which point Ed slammed. It proceeded to gouge his eyes out. That's one thing you better not say. Upon an hour later... The priest was wait. dead. Upon leaving an hour later, Lorraine pleaded to the priest to please be careful driving and to call her when he arrived home. Time out. Does the priest die? I gotta know. Oh, the priest is toast. Lorraine discerned tragedy for this young priest, <laughs> but he had to go his way. And a few hours later, Jason... Father Jason called Lorraine and explained that his brakes failed as he entered a busy intersection. He was involved in a near-fatal car accident, destroying his vehicle. Oh, almost got his ass. Fuck. Um, this was just one of the many events that happened over the next few years, uh, to the point that the Warrens had a special case built for Annabelle inside their occult museum, where she resides to this day. Yeah, do not open the case, it says right yeah, on there. There's a handwritten sign on the on this, uh, case that says, Warning, positively do not open. Uh, since the case was built, Annabelle no longer appeared to move, but she is thought to be responsible for the death of a young man who came to the museum on his motorcycle with his young girlfriend. The man, after hearing Ed's account of the doll, defiantly went up and began to bang on the case, insisting that if the doll can put scratches on people, that he wanted... To also be scratched. Edward said to the young man, Bad idea. Son, you need to leave, and put him out of the building. On the way home, the young man and his girlfriend were laughing and making fun of the doll when he lost control of his motorcycle and went head-on into a tree. It killed the man instantly, and the girlfriend survived and was hospitalized for over a year. Jesus Christ, so Annabelle puts him out of life. <laughs> so, uh, when they asked what happened, the young woman explained that they were laughing about the doll, when he lost control of the motorcycle. Ed warns you do not challenge evil, that no man is more powerful than Satan. Well. But I can think of a man more powerful than Satan. Oh. And that's Facty. Yeah, <laughs> he's pretty cool. Our fun little fact-finding friend. The fact in the box. The fact in the box. For some period of time, the years can't be confirmed. It only seems to be that most people agree it was around 10 to 15 years. Each Raggedy Ann was stuffed with a candy heart in the middle that said, I loved you. It was just like a normal, like one of the middle conversation hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in addition to dolls, books, pillowcases, sheet sets. Wait, in addition to dolls, books, pillowcases, sheet sets, and quilts were embellished with the beloved Ragdoll. Lamps, calendars, games, toys, dishes, clocks. Raggedy Ann and her spunky brother are everywhere. I think it might actually be easier to make a list of some things that they weren't on. That they weren't on? Yeah. They were like everything. Yeah. There was even a Raggedy Ann and Andy Viewmaster reel. No, oh, I'm not surprised. In 1977, Raggedy Ann became immortalized in a postage stamp set. 
In 2002, that immortalization was increased with an entry into the National Toy Hall of Fame. And for whatever reason, Raggedy Ann was not included with her. He was entered in 2007. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, Florida resident Robin Amato is so obsessed with Raggedy Ann that she's reportedly convinced her husband to allow her to fill a Raggedy Andy doll with his remains after his death. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> she was also featured on the TLC, TLC show My Crazy Obsession, where she didn't shy away from the fact that she has spent over $20,000 on Raggedy Ann. Holy fuck. Um, Raggedy Ann has been, voiced, has been voiced by the following. June Foray, Christina oh. Lange, Dee Dee Khan, which is Frenchie from Greece, and Emma Wibley. Um, and I couldn't find out who the voice was, but they did make for a short period of time a Paul String Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. You know who June Foray is, right? Oh, yeah. 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 She's a giant. Yeah. All of them kind of are, you know? Shit. Oh, yeah. And with that, we reach the end of possibly the wildest ride we may see here at Toys R Us. Yes. Most definitely the wildest one we've been on so far. Definitely. I'm actually kind of a little awestruck at how deep this episode went. Like, there's a lot of shit. There is. A lot of shit. Yeah. Um, if you like what you heard, and you like what you learned, and you'd like to support us, well, we have many ways that can happen. You can follow us on all social medias. We are at, Toy- we at Toys R Us across the board. Um, you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Um, help us feed that beast. Yeah. Because it'll help us climb the ladder. And last but not least, you could um, help us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Toys R Us podcast. We have several tiers that start at $5, but each tier gets you a nostalgic goodie box. Which is awesome. Yeah, and they also give you a producer credit, like the fine folks getting a shout out at the end of this and every episode. Yep. Remember, if we could see all there is to see, we might not dare what we dare to be. And remember that you will always be a Toys R Us kid. See you later, everybody. I'd like to thank our producer-level patrons, including Jeremy, Jessica, Natalie, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Patrick, Juanita, Shannon, and Steven. Thank you so much for your support. It really means the world to us.